Hello, my name is Father Edward Lernie, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Sometimes on the show, we have very Marian-centered topics. Other times, we speak with personalities in Catholic circles, authors, uh, speakers, whoever they might be, people that I find on Twitter that I find that are interesting. So today, I'm excited uh, to have on for a second time now. Uh, Amanda Lauer, who is a writer from the Green Bay area, lives in the Fox Valley. So she's from my own diocese. For a long time, she wrote for our diocesan newspaper. Uh, she since stopped, but I guess she probably would have stopped uh, not so long in the future because the diocesan publication is ceasing and they're going to a magazine format instead. So but uh, she's been a writer that I follow, and it's great to have, you know, fellow Catholic writers in your area that you can collab with, that you can bounce ideas off of, and uh, always happy to promote a fellow uh, Wisconsinite's writings along with uh, a fellow Green Bay person. So uh, thanks so much, Amanda, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Father, for inviting me. I appreciate it. And you've written several books. Uh you know, you had a series, and this is why you were on the last time. And if memory serves, I looked this up yesterday, so it could be wrong. It was like episode 81 or something like that. But the book was, uh, the series was uh, As Heaven Intended, such as Heaven Intended, you know, love or peace or whatever, you know, uh, you had there. You have several books in that series. So, but maybe first, let's just talk a little bit about the fact that you went from being kind of a freelance writer, writing for different periodicals, publications. And you kind of came to a point in your life, and your career that you said, I want to give this up, the freelancing, and I just want to focus on writing novels, mm -hmm. writing books. Yep. What led you to that point? Well, originally when I wrote my first novel, which is A World Such as Heaven Intended, so that's one of six in the series the fifth book comes out next month and the sixth book will be out next year. I literally thought I was just going to write one, one novel because I feel like every journalist wants to write a book, right? I got that out of my system. It was all good. I was going back to my journalism job full time. And within a week, people were asking for a sequel to the book. And I was somewhat floored and a little bit scared because it had taken me like six years to get the first book out. But people really loved it and they talked me into it basically. And so that began that whole series. And then I also wrote a couple collaborative books with Catholic teen authors or Catholic teen books it's called. And then I, I did a time travel set in Northern Wisconsin about a 13 year old girl who gets hit in the head playing volleyball, wakes up and has to live her mom's seventh grade life. And in 19, let's see, 74 and what was happening was I was beginning to see that if I wanted my novels to succeed, it's, it really has to be a full-time job because it's not just writing them, editing, all that kind of stuff. It's really the promotion, the marketing and things. You can write the most brilliant book in the world, but if you're not marketing it, no one will know about it. And I feel that these are beautiful stories and I want a lot more people to read them. And hopefully someday they'll someday there'll be movies, but all this takes work, and I just couldn't do everything. So, like you mentioned, I was writing for the Green Bay Diocesan newspaper for 19 years, 
and I was writing for a business publication, which happened to be Catholic owned uh, in Green Bay for 17 years. And I decided to retire from those two jobs so that I could do this full time. And so far, so good. It's working. Well, that's wonderful. And obviously, if you're working out full time, that's why you're able to write one book that just came out now, another book coming out next month, and then another book uh, for next year. And so uh, you are becoming like a Donna Cooper O'Boyle, who is always publishing, always writing. And that's always impressive because, you know, I think a lot of us have lots of books in us, uh, but it's just finding the time. So like me as a writer, I'm a I'm a guy that just does it on the side, you know, go to yeah. a coffee shop, write or whatever. So uh, I, I, you know, there, there's a, a manuscript that I started writing maybe back in April or May that I haven't opened that file on my computer, I bet, for four, five months, six months, you know, however long it's been. I haven't opened it all summer, haven't opened it yet, but I have the intention one day to sit down and write the next uh, few things that, for it, but but I haven't gotten there yet. So so I guess it makes sense why you would say I want to dedicate time to this. Right, and actually, kind of what has helped me too. I had a very very tight deadline for a book that's coming out next year, September first, which is called Lucky and Blessed, and I was offered the contract right before Memorial Day. And they wanted the manuscript back by September 1st. Well, we had a very busy summer planned. And I was just overwhelmed trying to figure out how I was going to write this book. And finally, what I did, and this may be a good, may work for you, but I got a timer for my husband that he uses. It's called the Pomodoro Method or something like that, where I would literally just set the timer for 45 minutes. And I could do nothing but type for 45 minutes. I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't do anything. And I realized once I did one, then I'd be like, okay, I can do another one later in the morning. And I would, I would end up doing four of these 45 minute sprints and it doubled my capacity. I went from writing one chapter a day to two chapters a day. And I actually got that manuscript finished two weeks early and turned in. And that was even after I did the full copy editing myself to turn it in. So they had the cleanest copy possible when the publisher saw the first draft. Yeah, that's interesting. I know for myself, like going to the coffee shop and I know I have the computer and I can go on Facebook or X yep. or formerly known yep. Twitter. Uh, I know that I have those things available to me, but there's just something about sometimes changing my environment. And when I worked on my license thesis, so I was doing that concurrently as a pastor, uh, I, I ended up just like taking three days or two days, one spot, another two days, another spot. And I, I just went to a hotel and like it got me away from home, got me away from the, my friends, distractions. Yeah. I went to a different place and uh, I was able to make considerable headway in my writing yeah. and in my projects when I simply removed myself from the environment. No, I, I agree. I, I'm not normally one to do that kind of thing because I just there's just so much of life going on. Yeah. I had mentioned to you that we have a, a daughter getting married October 14th. We have our eighth grandchild due October 5th. And I we just had to rehome my mom yesterday who's going from one assisted living center to another. And so all these things are going on. So I don't really have the capacity to just take off three days and go right straight. But this is working for me, just doing it in little bits and pieces, because at least I'm moving forward every day while I'm still taking care of life. 
Yeah. Now I'm curious too, as a, a writer, a person who's writing novels, for me, I write devotional stuff. So it's kind of a little different market, I suppose. But uh, tell me a little bit about your fans and your followers. So I'm assuming when you publish your first book, maybe your first fans and followers were family, friends you knew. But obviously, yes. as you, people begin sharing your book, libraries buy your book, you begin going to conferences or your marketing, your publisher's marketing, you begin to amass followers from all over the country, all over the world. So what's that been like for you as an author? I mean, it's been so gratifying. You're right. You know, when I first wrote A World Such as Heaven Intended, when it came out in 2014, yeah, my first followers, my first fans were my family. My husband has 11 brothers and sisters, so he's got a big family. And I, I had a lot of friends through the years because I've done a lot of things. I've been in a lot of businesses. I've done a lot of volunteer work. We're active in our church. So I had that really good base to start. But from there, I knew they were telling people about the books because I'd be like, oh, I, friends would tell me, oh, I shared it with this person who shared it with this person who shared it with this person or whatever. I think this really struck me when I was at the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference I've done that like maybe the last three years now. And I was standing behind a display of my books and people would come up and I could hear them talking. Obviously they're talking right in front of me like, oh my gosh, that's like my favorite book. I can't believe they're selling it here. And I would just say like, I'm the author and their eyes would be like, oh, can I do a selfie or something? I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that they're they're talking about my book like that. Not even realize I'm, I'm the person. And then I have been getting fan mail, basically, email from a lot of teens because my books are YA, so young adult. So they're appropriate for ages like eighth grade through adult. But these teens send me the sweetest notes and about how some people even send me notes and say, I have reread your series multiple times. Anytime I'm kind of down in the dumps or whatever, I'll grab one of your books. They're just so uplifting. And that just really, that's just so gratifying. I just love it. Yeah. You have to hear people saying, I read the Harry Potter series five times, or I read the Lord yeah. of the Rings series, but, but people are saying that about your series. Uh, I know. About Maybe. heaven. That's great. Uh, you know, I think too, as a writer, sometimes you get into a little slump. I've had this experience where like, you know, maybe I was putting out articles on different websites and I would have one almost weekly or bi-weekly. But then there comes a point in my life where it's like for six months, I, I don't publish anything. I don't share anything. I don't write anything. Uh, I, I, I'm i wondering as a person that's writing novels, uh, do you get in that slump of like, I can't write today or you lose motivation? And I guess if you do get in that slump, which I'm guessing you do, uh, how do you get out of it? How do you keep going and persevering in writing? Yeah. Well, I can't say that I don't get in slumps. I guess what people don't understand about writing, especially when you're writing novels too, is it's a grind. It's work. It looks glamorous on the other end when it's published and you're doing speaking engagements, you're at book clubs, you're doing all this, this stuff. But the day-to-day -day is a grind. I don't even allow myself to get into what you would say a slump. I force myself to do this every single day, usually because I have deadlines. And so the deadlines aren't going away. So they don't care. Your publishers don't care if you feel like writing or not. They demand a product at a certain time that you've agreed to. And so I just factor it into every day. I'm one of these people that I live by list. 
And so I have a list every week of what chapters I'm going to write in the book. And I'm crossing off each list, each chapter as I'm finishing it. And there's nothing more satisfying to me to look at this list for the entire week and see all these things highlighted that show the things I've accomplished. So yeah, I don't even let that mindset get into me because it doesn't matter if I'm in a slump. It doesn't matter if I feel like I'm writing or not. I set the timer and I just write. Even if it's not amazing what I write, you're still moving forward. Yeah, that's great uh, advice. Uh, yeah, in the spiritual life, I always tell people that it's better to make a little movement than to make no movement at all. And just in normal life, like go for a mile walk, even if that's all you can do. Like it's better than not going for a mile walk. So uh, yeah, I think just biting the bullet, doing it. That sounds great. That's good yeah. advice. So uh, obviously you write these books. You Your latest is Royal and Ancient. Uh, it's kind of this uh, story set in Scotland. There are certain characters there. Uh, tell us a little bit about the characters in the book and maybe who inspired them. Like, do, do you use real life inspiration behind your characters or are they just manufactured? I So the, the protagonists are Bronwyn and Ian. So Bronwyn is a 17 year old girl from the United States working at St. Andrews, which is a golf course. And she gets struck by lightning and she wakes up at St. Andrews, but it's St. Andrews in Scotland and it's the year 1691. So she meets Ian, a young man, like two years older than she is and his father and two other companions. And she, at first she thinks she's in some kind of real, you know, reality type TV show or something, or she, she thinks they were, she was supposed to be going to a virtual reality arcade that evening. So she thinks she's in the middle of that. Well, she quickly figures out that's not the case. Um, so as far as like where the characters come, a lot of my characters are taken from people in real life, especially my Heaven Intended series. If you read any of those, um, the star of the first book is modeled after our oldest daughter, Stephanie. The second book is modeled after our daughter, Samantha, the middle daughter. And then the third book, A Love Such as Heaven Intended, is modeled after our youngest daughter, Elizabeth. So when I'm writing characters, I either use real people, like completely their character, or I take a combination of people I know in like the best and the worst of the people, right? Because everybody has flaws and everybody has good things, right? But I also assign each person a, a personality before I start the book. You know how they have those personality things like those tests that people take. Well, we have a system, my husband and I, that we use called BANK, B-A-N-K. So B is blueprint, is action, and is nurturing, and K is knowledge. So everybody has those four elements in their life, but some elements are stronger than others. What I like to do is I like to create characters who are opposite of each other because it creates a lot of interesting, fun dialogue and conflict and misunderstandings and things that need to get resolved as the book goes on. So I would say with Bronwyn, she's more of A is action. So she's more of the action. She makes real quick decisions, but she's also got a lot of the nurturing, the M in her. So she cares about people and she, she may be a lot like me too. <laughs> I think a lot of the female characters are kind of like me. And I also think a lot of the guy characters are like my husband too. So that makes it fun. And then Ian, he is more on the line of a B, which is blueprint. Everything's black and white. 
he is training to be the leader of his clan. So you need to be that way. And knowledge. He has a lot of knowledge because he was studying at, at a monastery or a seminary on the continent, as they say, because at that time, Catholicism was outlawed in Scotland. So he was actually studying for the priesthood in France. And he, because of some family circumstances and death in the family, he had to come back to Scotland. And that's when he met Bronwyn. So yeah, that's kind of where the characters come from. But I like to mix it up with my my characters in each book. They're all different combinations. But like I said, I like to have them kind of opposite so that they have that that spark between them that makes it interesting when they talk back and forth. It makes it kind of fun too. I always love to weave humor into my books, even when they're serious situations. Yeah, so I know... Uh, my next question was going to be about faith that you kind of just brought that up here that one of the characters uh, was studying to be a priest. And so I was going to ask, how do you sometimes bring in the faith into the novel? Because is it your intention to write like a faith based novel or is it a novel that faith happens to be a part of it? Well, to start, my main characters in all my novels are Catholic, born and raised, whether they're not only Catholic or they're, you know, into the whole Catholicism. And so that's kind of where I start. But the, I don't consider them necessarily faith-based novels. These people are Catholic because that's the faith they know. That's all they know. And that's really all I know too, because I was born and raised Catholic. I went to Catholic grade school through eighth grade. And so it's easiest for me to write people coming from that perspective. So yeah, that's kind of where I do it from there. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's a, even though they're considered Christian novels and faith-based, it's just who these people are. They're just living their life as a Catholic in whatever time frame it is, whether it's the Civil War, whether it's in the 1690s when you have the Glencoe Massacre about to occur because Catholics were being massacred for continuing to practice their faith. And that gets woven into the book as well. Wow. So, so yeah, you bring in a lot of the historical. Obviously, some of these books, all, all of them really are, are some sort of historical focus. So the fact that you're in Scotland in the 1600s or whatever. So, so you have to study the history then of these places. So how do you do that? Do you, uh, do you read a book about it? Do you listen to a podcast, consult historians? Right. I don't listen to podcasts and I, I don't read books per se that are historical. I do have some for that. I can like, especially when I write the world, uh, the civil war books, because a friend of mine gave me a fantastic book that is the civil war day by day. So I will go there and check dates and see what battles are going on. So I have the people in the right place. So basically what happens is I do the bulk of my research on just going to the, you know, Google, Wikipedia, those kind of things. The interesting thing is history, well, they say it's written by the, the victors, right? So you get a lot of different, if you look at, if you really keep digging, you can find different perspectives on things that happen in history. And the interesting thing about the studying that it takes to write historical fiction, sometimes I look at myself and think, why am I not just writing modern day romances, like fun rom-coms, that kind of thing? It would be way easier than what I'm doing because I just finished writing Lucky and Blessed. It's a 250-page book. I literally had 125 pages of notes, all things snippets that I take from the internet and try to put them in order so I can go back and look for, for facts and such. 
the interesting thing though is when you're doing the research you can go down all these rabbit holes which produce things that will be really make the book deeper and more interesting and i would have never found out if i haven't been been combing through all these these web pages so yeah i always look back one of my favorite books is gone with the wind i'm like how did margaret mitchell ever write that with no internet she literally had well at that time she probably could talk to people who had lived through the civil war but I'm sure she spent a lot of time in libraries looking up battles and things like that. So we're blessed in this day and age to have the opportunity to have the internet where we can find things quicker. But some things are difficult to find. Like even I was trying to figure out the Lucky and Blessed book is set at the court of King Henry VIII when he was married to his fifth wife. And I was trying to figure out how exactly did he speak to people? Did he use thou and though and that kind of informal way of speaking? I, I literally couldn't find it. And so I actually had to look up his speeches that people had transcribed to see how he actually spoke. Okay. So, yeah. And another thing I was looking for, and I never did find this answer. So apparently King Henry VIII, even after he started the Church of England, he still was Catholic at heart. He went to mass every day. He went to confession. He had a confessor on his deathbed. He had his confessor. He got the last rites. All the things that Catholics do, but for the life of me, I could not find the name of his confessor. It's, it's lost a time where people don't want you to know that he was using the services of his confessor. I don't even know how often, weekly, monthly, whatever, and that he went to mass every day in what they called a closet. But when you live in a castle, I'm sure closets bigger than yeah. what you would say today. I, I just saw one of these little chapels, you know, like a small little chapel that a king would have been in. Yeah. So uh, the London of, or the Tower of London has, uh, yeah. has its chapels. Yeah. Yeah. We've been there. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, so you have a lot of work that you've been doing, obviously. Uh, so two books this year uh, and another book next year. Who are the publishers? Well, actually, the book? three books next year. Oh, wow. I yeah, can't. it's crazy, right? Yeah, so the Heaven Intended series, book five comes out this year, which is called A Faith Such as Heaven Intended. So to give you all the titles, there's A World Such as Heaven Intended, A Life Such as Heaven Intended, A Love Such as Heaven Intended, A Freedom Such as Heaven Intended, and then A Faith Such as Heaven Intended. But book six, I just started writing within the last two weeks, and my grandson for two years has been asking me to write a book where he's the hero and we, I gave him a lot of ideas to look over and he wants to be in this civil war series. He doesn't know this yet. It'll be a surprise to him, but book number six is called a hero such as heaven intended. That's what I'm writing right now. All those books are with full quiver publishing Ellen Gable up in Ontario. She's the first person who had faith in me and saw that I had talent and was willing to, take the chance that I could do these books. And she's just been amazing, her and her husband, James. They, I don't know, it's just the support from them has been amazing. And I have made a commitment with them to do all my Heaven Intended series with them. But also the book I wrote, The Time Travel, called Anything But Groovy, was published by them. And I am going to be doing the sequel for that, which should come out probably at the end of next year. So that will be with them. However, when I was at the Catholic Marketing Network convention last year in Chicago and the Catholic Writers Guild convention or conference, 
Elvin wasn't able to attend, but she actually suggested that I try to find a bigger publisher. She's, she, which is great because she always told me, you know, me and one other gentleman from Full Quiver Publishing, like we are the top producers. We market continuously. So we have a great working relationship, but she really said, I think you can find a bigger audience. You get a bigger publisher. So I actually queried. They had several publishers there, agents, all that kind of stuff at this conference last year. And I queried Chrism Press and they were very interested right away and asked, maybe like two weeks later, asked for the full manuscript for Royal and Ancient. And then I think a week later I got a contract and that's the book that's coming out October 2nd. And it's just been a joy to work with them. The interesting thing, working with a bigger publisher is there's a lot more layers to it. There's a lot more editors, yeah. proofreaders. I just, so many people that are reading your manuscript and giving you, you know, feedback on it, which I think has made this a fantastic book because their advice is, it's just amazing and so helpful. And it's helping me be a better write, writer from this moment out. And so it's really been neat working with them. And kind of the fun thing too, this is all new to me. They actually have a book launch team that I've been working with the last two weeks. And the things they asked for, it kind of cracks me up because they wanted a Spotify playlist for my book. So of course it's set in Scotland and two of my favorite CDs are Scottish, which would be Rob Roy and all of a sudden the one with can't think of the other one. It'll come to me. But they're, they're soundtracks from Scottish movies. So that's kind of like my Spotify playlist. And then they wanted, I mean, they ask you to do a lot of things on social media that I wasn't accustomed to doing. I was on uh, Instagram, but I wasn't really active on there. And they told me Instagram had to be my new best friend. And I said, well, we're barely acquainted, but we'll work on it. And then they want you to really amp up. They would like me to do a newsletter every week, but at this point, it's just not feasible with the busyness of my life. So I'm trying to do that every other week. They want me to, to do two blogs a week. I'm working on that. If I get one out a week, I'm feeling pretty good. And just all sorts of uh, posts on Instagram. They call them boilerplates, where they t- like a picture of the cover of your book where you put quotes from the books or nice endorsements, like the really nice endorsement you gave me for the book. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's busy, but I'm enjoying working with both of the teams. And I'm super excited for next Tuesday when the book comes out because I'm thinking it's going to it's gonna be big. It's going to probably be the biggest I would say I'm sure it's going to be the biggest book launch I've had yet. So I'm looking forward to bigger and better things and to showing the public that there's Catholic writers in this day and age who write write fiction. Everybody always thinks back to the early 1900s or something, right? But, you know, there's Catholic writers and there's a talented group of people, particularly in the Catholic Writers Guild. Yeah, and so if people do want to get a copy of Royal and Ancient, this uh, time time travel, if you will, going back to 1600 Scotland, uh, a love story that's unfolding. Uh, where where can they acquire that copy? Where do you recommend them going? Yeah. Number one place that would be most helpful to me is if you get it from my website, amandalower.com. And other than that, chrismpress.com will have it on there. 
their site. And the other one would be Amazon, right? Where everything is available. So it will be Kindle and there's a paperback version. Great, great. So uh, yeah, everybody head on over to Amanda's website, learn more about her other books. Maybe you'll fall in love with her series. Uh, also and with her new book, Royal and Ancient. So thanks so much, Amanda, for joining me as uh, you launch your book this week. Thank you, Father. It's always a pleasure talking to you.